It's good to be here this morning in uh, great uh, Texas weather, huh? We had some snow yesterday. It didn't stick, but uh, stick, stick. That didn't stick, uh, but we had some snow, and it was pretty uh, to watch. And uh, this morning it's freezing. This afternoon I think it'll be in the 60s. It's good to be here. Uh, so uh, Carmen Janus had her pacemaker put in. It was a success. She immediately felt better. And so, obviously, want to give thanks for that and uh, look at your bulletins, those uh, prayer requests. BJ, how's your dad? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Very good. Just want to, before we go to Colossians, the first chapter, uh, just want to make mention again, just a, a couple of verses there that Paul uh, read, not going to reread the whole passage, but Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, I'm going to read that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then I want to drop down uh, for this morning's message uh, to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. This is to the New Testament church. This is an Old Testament. This is New Testament. We talked about that this morning in our study of Jude. So again, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. I'll read verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. So Paul just clearly says to the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the power of gospel. I know what it is, the power of God unto salvation, whoever would believe. Then he makes this statement about uh, the invisible attributes of God. The invisible attributes of God. And he says because of the invisible attributes of God can be seen, the invisible attributes of God can clearly be seen and known through the creation that all men are going to be without excuse. All men. Now we go to Colossians chapter 1. We've been studying this passage and we uh, looked at verse uh, 13 and 14 last week. The title of this morning's sermon is He Is. And I want you to focus on uh, this, in this passage here, uh, there's so many, I'm telling you, Verse uh, 14 through verse 23, you could literally preach a year of sermons just breaking down each verse and then the harmony in the systematic theology that each verse represents Genesis through Revelation. But this morning, uh, we're just going to look at one dynamic of this passage. I'll be reading in verse 15, chapter 1 of Colossians. And he is the invisible of the, he is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. Uh, the Son of God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Remember, the invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the creation. So, for by him all things were created, 
both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on heaven or things in earth. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you. He's reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So the invisible attributes of God have now been made through the creation and Christ himself. I don't know how deep your doctrine of theology is if you've read the creation accounts in Genesis. Um, But Christ himself, he, through God, created all things. By him, for him, and through him, all things were created. All things. So I don't know how um, deep, I don't, I don't know how deep your understanding of God is or how, uh, how you're connected in your daily walk with God. Um, you know, we're, we've been called, as God has saved us, Um, to dishonor him and bring glory to him, walk with him, trust him, follow him. And so I think, I don't think, I believe, I know to be true that as God saves each and every one of us, we're saved by God alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone, and through grace alone, period. So God saves us through Christ alone, uh, on the basis of faith alone, through grace alone. That's what he does. So we're saved, and you may have been saved as a young child. You may have come to, uh, you may have come to salvation. God may have saved you as an older individual, teenager, maybe even an adult. And then, so as He has saved you, and and now as we're a Christian and we're following Him and we love Him and we confess Him and we, you know, we live Him, we follow Him, we trust Him. Um, you know, how deep of an understanding and a level of commitment do you have? Believing that, coming to believe, God bringing you to believe that, that he saved you. Um, So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul writes that. So then if you just take all of Paul's letters, all of them, uh, really for me the premier gospel statement in Paul's letters are the second chapter of Ephesians. He said, listen, remember, all of us, we were formerly, we listened we were hostile in mind, what he wrote to Colossians. We were dead in our trespasses, what he wrote the Ephesians. We're dead in our trespasses. But God being rich in his mercy, he saved us. And, and, and he writes that you and I, no matter what our condition was, God saved us. And it says, the scripture very clearly says, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, lest no man boast. So God decided, Hannah, you know what? I'm going to save grace. I, or I'm going to save Hannah by grace. It's his grace. There's nothing she could do to earn that. Nothing any of us could do to earn it. He just decided 
He knew something about you. He knew you, me, all of us before he formed us in our mother's womb. He would say, I'm going to save that person. And he's only going to save us on the basis of grace. Grace is Christ. Christ is grace. That's what he is. He's creator. He's grace. And when we say God is love, Jesus Christ is the epitome of that love. You see, God says, I'm going to save you. And he saved you because of his faithfulness, not your faithfulness. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. It's his faithfulness. A dead man, a dead woman, a dead child, you can't have faith. You can't have anything. All you can have is the longings of a carnal flesh. we just dead in our trespasses and sin. So God says, this person gets grace. I'm going to save this person. Now, he'll do it through the preaching of his word. He'll do it through the circumstances of, of an individual's life. By whatever means, he will not only exhibit, he will give us grace. And then because he is faithful, he's faithful, and we know he's faithful because of the death of his son on the cross, Christ praying in the garden, Father, take this cup from me, however not my will, but your will be done. He was faithful. His walk to the cross was faithful. His hanging on the cross was faithful. His dying on the cross was faithful. His time, those, those, that time in, in, in hell, read about it, First Peter, he, he descended and he preached to those that were in hell. He, his time, the righteous son of God, he was faithful. Coming out of that tomb, he was faithful. So by grace through faith you've been saved, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. So, okay, by grace through faith, that's the gospel. I'm not ashamed of that. How could I be? And so now talk about God's faithfulness transferring to me so that I can be faithful even though I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And all you got to do is go to Romans in the 10th chapter. Paul says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, my prayer for the Jews. He's talking about God's people, the Jews. They have a passion for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. He deals with that. He talks about that. And then he says, with the heart we believe. That's how we believe. What does God desire? Broken heart and contrite spirit. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They, man, based upon the preaching of... <laughs> of God's word, Peter, it says they, their hearts were pierced. And so as God brings you to a point where he pierces your heart, he gives you grace, he's faithful so that we can become faithful. And as that happens, how does that happen? Romans 10, 17, very clearly says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved with the heart we believe. And in Romans 10, 17, it says, consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. It says, you, that's been translated by some to saying faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, the, its logos, but depending on how that is spelt in the, in the Greek, that word means the story. Some would say it's the commands. Well, part of the story of Christ is the commands. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. But so, Roman, so for you and I, as God has saved us, because he's faithful, this is the gospel. Now, now, we, in turn, can become children of faith, and that happens through you and I understanding the story of Christ. That's the gospel. We have to understand the story of Christ. So my question is, depending on where you're at with God, 
and your level of obedience, your level of commitment, your level of understanding, your level of following, trusting, it's always going to be based upon the story of Christ. So what do you know about the story of Christ? Now, the gospel, we're not ashamed of it. The invisible attributes of God have been made known through the creation. No man will have an excuse. Paul writes to Colossians, he said, he is the creator. By him, you and I only have breath. You and I only have the blood that flows through our body. You and I only have the intellectual capacity to think and act because Christ created that in you. God knew you and I before he formed us in our mother's womb. The days of your life are ordained before you're born. You will not, you will not live one second of one minute of one day any longer than God has ordained. I don't care how much exercise you do. I don't care if you wear a mask. I don't care if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. I could care less. I don't care what drives you by fear. I, I do care about what, and God cares about what drives you by faith. But if you want to live by fear and if you think that you can prolong your life, God bless you. You're wrong. You can't. You never could, and you never will. God has set that time. You're born this day according to the will of God, and you're going to die this day. Now, you do get to choose the quality of life that you want to live. If you want to live uh, terribly during the process of time that God has ordained, fine. You can live healthy. You do. You get, there, there's some choice that the Bible's very clear about there. But the truth of the matter is, he created us, and he created everything that's in us, and he set the boundaries. He set the boundaries of the heavens. He set the boundaries of the seas. He set the boundaries of the earth, the planet. That we, and he has set the boundaries of the very thing and everything that is in you and I and every living creature so that we can live. The blood that throws through our vein, the oxygen that we breathe, he set it. He created it. And it was created by him and through him and for him. Do you understand that? And if you don't understand that, why do you not understand that? If we understand it, it should change. It's, it's a life changer. It's a life changer. It should be. So, if you've been doing your reading, we gave that historical reading that you could go through for the year. You've already read through Genesis, Exodus, Job, and now you're painfully in the middle of Leviticus. Uh, no, you're not. It's, uh, I said to the class this morning, the entire, from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Malachi, the entire Old Testament is about one thing and one thing only. It's about Jesus, period. Whatever doctrine that you want to talk about, whatever covenant, whatever the, uh, Abraham's faith, it, doesn't, it makes no difference. The creation, the major prophets, the minor prophets, uh, it's just about Jesus. The whole book is about Jesus. First century church, you go to the book of Acts, I mentioned this morning, there's seven sermons. You want to do biblical preaching? You want biblical preaching? There's a whole lot of hogwash being preached today, but if you want biblical preaching, you got an example right there in the book of Acts. Seven sermons, 35 years, they preached out of the Old Testament. 33% of the New Testament is Old Testament. All the judgments that God established in the Old Testament for the church, they're going to, don't for a minute, take God's grace wrongly because that judgment is still set aside. We talked about that this morning. Uh, but it's there. And so, God's people, 
Old Testament and New Testament, their understanding of the grace of God, the omnipotence of God, the sovereignty of God, the omnipresence of God, their understanding of their life with God, being saved by God through Christ alone, I'm being repetitive, by faith, by faith alone or through faith alone and by grace alone, their understanding was it, was it went all the way back to the Old Testament, the gospel, the gospel. The gospel, the invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the creation. So I'm not going to read all these verses. I'm not going to do it, but go with me to the 39th chapter of Exodus. I've given you in your Bible, in your handout, there's a lot of verses here. We can't cover them this morning, but I want to reference some. I want you to understand how deeply the gospel and the creation and God's people are called people, called out by him, predetermined by him, preselected by him, that they had a purpose and how God manifest himself in their life so that they could understand, they could understand God, creation, Christ, creation, faith, grace, all of those things, and how the application was in their daily life, okay? So just look at something here, the 39th chapter of Exodus. We're going to get in verse 1. I would like for you to read all these verses. Uh, so verse 1, God has called his people in the wilderness to build a tabernacle. There's going to be a high priest and his sons that would serve, Aaron and his sons. There would be the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 descendants of Jacob. They would be a priest. They would be, a, they would be priest. They would be that tribe, okay? A lot of stuff there. You may not know that, but here's one I want you to see. You read this. I read this. If you're going through your daily reading, this might be repetitive to you. You might think, oh, man, they just keep repeating themselves, repeating themselves. What's the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal? Oh, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the gospel. It's the gospel deal, folks. Here it is. Moreover, verse 1, chapter 39, from the blue and the purple and the scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments which were for Aaron, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he made the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. Then they hammered out gold sheets and cut them into threads to be woven in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen, the work of a skillful workman. They made attaching shoulder, shoulder pieces for the ephod. It was attached to two upper ends and, and the skillfully woven band which was on it was like its workmanship of the same material of gold and of the blue and the purple and the silver material and fine twisted linen just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now you go ahead and read. There's a bunch of them there. Over and over again, there's, the, there's blue, there's purple, there's red, and there's white. That's what he did. The curtains, the priestly garments, the high priest, just there. We're going to end this morning and look at Revelation and the white garments. And, and then Isaiah would write in chapter 1, I believe verse 18 of Isaiah, he would talk about Jesus and God's plan for a, a Savior, the gospel. He said, even though your sins would be crimson, he'll make them white as snow. If you go to the 22nd Psalm, uh, in the psalmist, uh, the psalmist would write, a, it was a messianic psalm. And the Messiah would say, I have become like a worm. 
I told her, a crimson worm. We'll get back to that, a worm, okay? So the children of Israel are in a desert. Let me ask you something. You in a desert right now? I just thought about this. I was going through all these passages in the Scripture reading. They said, well, I'll be curtain Texas ain't a desert. Now, in the Old Testament, the desert was real, and there was also symbolism in it. Would you say what's happening in our world today is like a desert? They got the Russian army going over there to lining up against the Ukrainians. You got stuff happening over in China and North Korea. You got a country divided right here, the one we live in. I absolutely, without exception, disagree. If anybody says things are worse now than they're worse, I would just absolutely disagree with you. We just tend to live in a moment. Nobody here was alive in this country from 1861 to 1865. Read your history. Things are pretty good in America. At least for the flesh, they're pretty good. But we're a country divided. We are. You, you, you feel good about those people in Washington, D.C.? Because I don't. You feel good about who's serving and the rulings that are happening in the Supreme Court in this country? I don't. You feel good about the news that you listen to right here in this community less than two weeks ago, a little child was severely abused to the point that that child died by the hands of their parents. It's happening in communities all over the world, not just here. We live in a desert. And then there's the church, the body of Christ. Paul wrote to Ephesians, he said, the manifold wisdom of God is now known through the church. Another sermon for another day, but we're the church. Paul would write in the sermon, uh, or, Paul, or Jesus would say on the Sermon of the Mount, that uh, you and I, God's people, we're supposed to be a sweet aroma, a light and a salt. By the way, all that has Old Testament roots going back to the tabernacle and all that. But that's who you and I, we're supposed to be a sweet aroma, salt and light. And all those things came to have meaning when God's people were in the desert. You and I, that's who we're supposed to be. I can't, listen, globally or whatever you want to call it, it's hard to measure that. It's easy to knock the church. Man, the church is the easiest target in the world. You want to, you want to beat up on somebody? And it's even sad when Christians do it as the church. We're the easiest target in the world. And we just are. That's okay. Blessed are you when men, Jesus said on the Sermon about, blessed are you when men say all kinds of false things against you and persecute you because your reward is great in heaven. So I don't, it's just sad when Christians knock the church. I expect the world to knock it in spite of what we do. We're supposed to be sweet aroma, light, and salt. So God's people are in the desert, and he tells them to build a tabernacle. I need you to build a tabernacle for you. It's for you. It's for them. You got a journey. There's going to be a journey in this desert. They didn't know 40 years. And he had already done all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles for them. And they're going to build a tabernacle. It's a beautiful thing. And you can break it down. To, I'm, not a, I'm not a metal guy, 
But you go home and do the research. Again, another sermon. If you'll understand, if you'll look at uh, gold and silver and bronze and where they uh, fit in, what do you call that, Mark? You, uh, you call that uh, metal, you know, the study of metals. They're unique and unto themselves. They're different than all. I think the electron levels, like 1,100, and that has something to do with all the metals. So even the gold and the silver and the bronze had something to do with the creation and why God would use them and God's people understand. The acacia wood. The acacia wood was abundant. There were other woods, but the acacia wood, the way the heartwood in that acacia wood that they're supposed to use to build the tabernacle, it was resistant to insects and rot and water so they could survive in a desert condition for many years. Everything. There's nothing. There's not a single thing in their journey, their surroundings, their livestock, the food they could eat, the food that they couldn't eat. And then the building of this tabernacle that screamed, screamed two things. The gospel, number one, and the creation as it would apply to the gospel, God's people understanding that and how they lived according to it. So you got these colors. You got blue. You got purple. You got red. And you got white. It's the gospel. Did you know that? You read it. Why did it? I guess he's just like blue and, and purple and red and white. God wants you and I. The scripture says, there are people that have ears, but they cannot hear. And sister, bro, I'm going to tell you, church is full of it. That church is full of people who have been sitting in pews for years, and they've been hearing, and they've been hearing, and they've been hearing, and they don't understand it. And you can just see it by the way they live their life. They'll come to church on Christmas and Easter. They'll celebrate when it's convenient. They'll worship when it's good or it works out. And they can quote John 3.16. In Matthew 7, we talk about two most quoted verses by believers and non-believers. John 3, 16 and Matthew 7, 7. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Woo, but then they ain't reading that other one. Same gospel. There'll be many, many that say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. I don't know you. But I got John 3, 16 now. The other one is judge not lest you be judged. I like that one. Sinners and saved and unsaved like that one. Well, the saved don't because we like judging. Tough truth, man. Just look at the way we treat one another. Or even the lost. Paul would say, what do you have? What do I? If I'm not talking about homosexuals and murderers and offenders. He said, right, he wrote to Corinthians. He said, I ain't got nothing to do with them. That ain't none of your business. The church has made it their business. I, I, I want to show a video. I didn't show it. I was going to show it. Um. Probably be a good time to show. It's a 59-second video. 59-second video. You got that ready to go? Just watch this 59-second video. I don't even know who this guy is. We need, we need Blake Dubeck here. He knows how to. Blake's not here today. We're not prophets. But we've been saying it for a long time. You can't kill 60 plus million babies and not get a response from God. 
You cannot parade your sin like Sodom before the face of God and not get a response from God. God has shown in history that He is merciful and He is gracious and He is patient, but God will respond because God will not be mocked. And what our nation needs right now is faithful men and women to preach the gospel in the public square faithfully, lovingly, and courageously like the early church did. They had nothing but a message that changed the world, Amen. that took people out of death and into life. That's what the early Christian church did. But they did it faithfully, and they did it with consequences. We don't want consequences, be honest. We love our comfort more than we love Christ. We love our safety more than we love our neighbor. Play it one more time. Might put you a minute behind going to Luby's. I don't know. We're not prophets, but we've been saying it for a long time. You can't kill 60 plus million babies and not get a response from God. You cannot parade your sin like Sodom before the face of God and not get a response from God. God has shown in history that he is merciful and he is gracious and he is patient, but God will respond because God will not be mocked. And what our nation needs right now is faithful men and women to preach the gospel in the public square faithfully, lovingly, and courageously like the early church did. They had nothing but a message that changed the world, that took people out of death and into life. That's what the early Christian church did, but they did it faithfully and they did it with consequences. We don't want consequences, be honest. We love our comfort more than we love Christ. We love our safety more than we love our neighbor. Pretty powerful. And I do know this about the, he was preaching to the church. So, again, there's a challenge here. So, just, well, we're going to do this quick. The invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the creation so that no man will have an excuse. No man. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for this power of God unto salvation for those who believe. For by him and through him and for him all things were created. All things were created by him and for him and through him. So that he might have first place in everything. Children of Israel in the desert, you and I are in the desert, but the children of Israel and God set aside a high priest. If you read Hebrews, Jesus Christ is our high priest. And in the veils and the garment, they, the first color was blue, and they never depart from this. In the sequence of the colors, blue, purple, red, and white. And we do the same thing, red, white, and blue, we do it. Green is that was shamrock. I, so we do, men have always used color, but the Jews... Every color and every number had a gospel meaning to it. The blue was the color of heavens, the heavens. They understood that you and I, when we should look to the blue skies, that that is, the, that is where the throne room, the heavenly palace of God is, and that the earth is the footstool. We worship the footstool, the creation. Paul said it, man would rather <laughs> worship the creation rather than the creator. When you and I get up in the morning and, and we see the blue sky, we should be in awe that we know our, our God, he reigns from heaven above. That's where he reigns from. He, that's where he reigns. 
Do you see that or you just see a blue sky and you're thankful for it? No, that's the heavens. That's the heavenly. It's where God reigns from. And when he comes back, the heaven's going to open. A trumpet's going to blow and every man, woman, and child that has ever been born and is dead now, dead in the flesh, their soul living for eternity, they're going to rise. And the first thing they're going to do is the knee is going to bow and the tongue is going to confess. It's going to happen. And, and it's going to the scene in the, in the heavenly. Purple. Purple was the color of a king. It was royalty. King. He's the king of kings. You know, it's problem with the, one of the big problems in the American Christian culture, movement, church, whatever you uh, some, we probably struggle with being a soothing aroma. You know, by the way, where did the, uh, that soothing aroma come from? A sacrifice. We'll only be a soothing aroma to people as we sacrifice ourselves. Jesus said, I didn't come to, serve, to be served, but to serve. He came as a sacrifice. Instead of having a lot of self-righteous people demanding their way, we ought to just be full of a bunch of servants. But that purple, that royalty, the king of kings who reigns from the heavens, you know where they got the blue and the purple? Where did a, a, a million people freeing from Egyptian bondage in a desert get blue and the amount of blue and purple? Now, they got it from what's called right there in the Scripture a sea mollusk. That's a snail, an oyster, and a clam. God moved. You know what? They were by the Red Sea. God will move you to places in your life where this is trash. This is this is terrible. I'm, I don't know how we're going to survive. We're surrounded. There's a great enemy after us. How can we? This is terrible. And God moves them where there's sea mollusk. And then the sea mollusk, they would take that organism in the snail and the clam and the oyster, and they'd. Put it, get, put it in the sun. See, they had learned this. And that, that organism would turn blue and purple. You read blue and purple, and the Jews understood that the colors that represent the heavens, the throne room of God, and the king, the royalty of God, are right here in the creation. Do you know if you go to the 22nd Psalm, he says, I become like a worm. The worm is, the Hebrew is tola. It's a crimson worm. You know where they got red from? You know where the red came from? The blue and the purple came from the sea mollusks out of the creation. You know where the red came from? It's called the crimson worm, the tola. Jesus said, I become like that worm, the messianic message. It's a, it's a, it's a worm, and it would attach itself to a bark. And it couldn't, it would. And all of its offspring would be born. And, and, and all the blood that was in this tola, this worm, was what would feed that offspring. And then after three days, you know what happens? It dies and it falls to the ground and it's white as snow. You heard that story before? Even though your sins are crimson, they'll be white as snow. You know what Adam's name was? Adam. He's the, he's, the, he's the son of the red earth. The crimson and the blood represented humanity and the blood. 
And he's telling them, you make these veils, you make these curtains, you make this priestly garment so that when people see and they look, the heavens, the king, the blood, the sacrifice of a lamb, and even though my sins were crimson, they'll be white as snow through a death and a nation will be born by the blood of a worm. The invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the gospel so that a man is without excuse. And then the final one, the white. You should just do a, a study on any of these colors, but you should do a study on the linen, the white linen. Before I tell you about that, let's, I'm just going to pick out one. Go to Revelation 7. We're going to end here. Revelation 7. Is that where I want to end? I think so. Oh, wait. Yeah, come on, dude. Yeah, Revelation 7. I'm going to, because I have a whole series of them you probably need to write. But I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, you got all the, I can start at verse 4, but I'm going to go to verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, the throne room in heaven, the blue heavenly in the heavens, the throne, purple, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robe, and palm branches were in their hands. Remember, even though your sins be as crimson, he'll make them white as snow. Paul wrote to Galatians that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Part of what happens up there in that, bar in that bab is a burial, a death, burial, and resurrection, Romans 6, and it's a clothing. All of us who have been baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. On the throne and to the Lamb. Let's go down to verse 13 and 14. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Those who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to them, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Linen. You know where they got the white for the linen? Flaxseed. You know what they found in the tombs of the Egyptians? You want to see the influence of Joseph? They have found flaxseed because they believed the garments that would head into a resurrection would be white, and they used the flaxseeds right out of the creation. White is the color of purity and righteousness. And so as they would walk into the tabernacle and as they would look at the priest, they would see blue, Purple, red, and white. And the gospel was preached. And they couldn't, they couldn't escape it. The entire book of Leviticus was, listen, God said, you're going to be a holy people. I have made you holy. This is how you live holy. There's nothing that you do in your life 
Not a one thing that you do in your life, the way you eat your food, the way you clean yourself, the way you raise your livestock, the, everything that you do, what you can eat, what you can't eat, has to do with the heavenly king who died and sacrificed his blood so that you and I could be washed in the blood of the lamb and, and live in purity before a righteous God. I hope that as you go through reading the scripture and you try to make sense and understand all this, that you begin to challenge yourself and you look hard into the mirror and say, what do I know about the gospel? Am I ashamed of it? What excuse do I have? Do I have an excuse? Well, I have an excuse before a pure and righteous God who reigns in the heavens who is the king of kings and who shed his blood for me so that I could be pure. Well, I have, well, I have an excuse. Well, I have anything in my life. No. The invisible attributes of God have been made through the creation so that no man can be without excuse. No man will have an excuse. One of the saddest verses, but it was a precursor to one of the great truths in Scripture is the third chapter of Romans, and Paul is referencing a lot of Old Testament. He said, you know, there's the people, they have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. They keep hearing, but they don't understand. They don't hear. Why? Because they have calloused hearts. You know, an entire generation of people with the gospel before them in the colors, in the livestock, and the deliverances of God, and the miracles of God, and the staffs, and the standard, everything that they had, Christ being the water, the rock in the wilderness, the manna from heaven. An entire generation died in their unbelief, died cursed in their unbelief. Now, they were religious people. My prayer is that you and I have ears that hear and eyes that see. When we wake up in the morning, we look to the heavens. We give praise to God. We're reminded of the King of Kings, the worm, the Son of God becoming a worm. So that an offspring of every nation and tribe and tongue could be born. And He purified us and He made us right before God. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and honor. We glorify your name. We ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. You remove anything stubborn or uncircumcised in our heart and our spirit. That you allow us to, as we open our eyes in the morning and we live during the day in the desert that we live in, in a dark and broken world, Father, we pray that all we can see is you. All we can see is you. All that we should see is you. And all that we want to see is you. And it is in you, your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing with all my heart and I offer my life to you. Page 662.
as we prepare our hearts, as we come to the Lord's table, the blood of the covenant, um, as all of those have been reading the script, the daily scriptures, we, read, we finished Exodus, and in Exodus chapter 24, verse 8, so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And in Matthew, uh, let's see, Matthew 26, we have Christ who declares on verse 28, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out over many for forgiveness of sins. And Hebrews connects these two events showing in both cases the blood was used for forgiveness of sins. In Hebrews 9, starting with verse 18, Therefore even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God command you. In the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may always say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no for forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in heaven to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these.
night he was portrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. As he broke it, he said, this is my body. Take in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is often as you drink. Remember, and this in remembrance of me. And let's stand and go to 581. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the Lord 